Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise and take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to you, people of faith. We try to rely on the wisdom of the Word of God for the sake of the culture and the mission of the church, or as we like to say here at the LCRL, we're trying to put our temporal liberties to work for the sake of the eternal liberties of God for all. But today, we're not talking so much about defending the church in the public square. Today, we're talking about how the church can be a servant in the public square. So with us is Dr. Paul Devontier, and he's been on our program before. You heard us talking about the KFUO case and religious liberty in the past. And as I said, he's been the voice of, by the way, a devotional minute. And he's been on the radio all the way back since 1974. I think that's what you told me last time, Paul. Uh, so you all will you'll recognize him when you hear his voice. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you, Dr. Seltz. Wonderful to be with you. Paul and his family, his wife and his family, they've been involved in the foster care programs uh, of our country, or not, I shouldn't say that. They sh- they've been involved in the lives of foster kids. That's the better way to say it, for a long time. And he started to get involved in, in some of the politics of this. But I wanted him to tell the story of, of why they decided to do this. Maybe we should even challenge our churches. Why don't we get involved in this? Because fighting for religious liberty is also fighting for the opportunity to do public ministry for the sake uh, of our community. In fact, there are some states that, are, that have healthy church-state relations that allow the church to actually be uh, foster care churches in, in a way that allows them to be Christians even as they serve. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul, just give us a little bit of that background about how you got involved with all that. Well, thanks. Um, I actually began life as a child. And, <laughs> Good. And I, <laughs> I suspect that's the case for many others as well. But I was blessed, and I pray you were too, with a wonderful childhood and Married a beautiful young woman who shared my belief that children were gifts from God and we should do everything we can to make their lives as wonderful as ours had been. And it wasn't a single decision to pursue that kind of thing. It was kind of a process. And it began was something as simple as a newspaper article. Uh, We lived in St. Louis at the time. A local newspaper article calling for individuals to consider becoming visiting foster parents for children who were in an institution in St. Louis. And my wife said, you know, we could do that. We don't have any children of our own yet. And so we did, and that's how it all began. We had uh, children 
visit us on the weekends. And one of those um, who was seven years old when he came to live with us, the institution finally said, could he, could he just live with you rather than living at the institution? And uh, he can still go to school here, but maybe he could live with you. So that's how it started. When he was 10 years old, he became part of our family through adoption. Uh, a month before our first biological child came into the family. So we had two children the same year, 10 years apart in age. Oh. And that began infant foster care for the most part, okay. from the time a child was born until he or she was adopted or returned to uh, a natural mother or parents. And for more than 20 years in our family, there was never a time we did not have at least one infant in the house, and sometimes several. And our children, as they grew, uh, became very involved in foster care as well. Uh, they were probably better equipped to be parents when they became parents than I was when I became their father, uh, because they lived with infants, but it became a way of life, and we loved it. We thought it was uh, perfectly normal to do that sort of thing. That personal way of life became a public way of life. Uh, so where did it lead? That led, ultimately, to a call I received one day from the National Council for Adoption in Washington, D.C., asking if I would consider becoming the national director of a new program that was just being put into place. And you can imagine how surprising that sort of thing can be. I sure. didn't know about the program, didn't apply for anything. Uh, I knew something about Washington, D.C., because I had been involved there for quite a number of years in the KFUO case that you've already referenced. But to make the move and live in the Washington, D.C. area, I wasn't sure. But it seemed like an adventure I simply couldn't pass up. And with my wife's blessing and the blessing of our children at the time, uh, we made the move. The history of the program is that in the late 1990s, Congress passed legislation creating the Infant Adoption Awareness Training Program. And that program would be carried out by the not-for-profit. The government chose to run the program, and that was the National Council for Adoption. So the NCFA would uh, be responsible for the program. And after accepting the offer in 2001, I began traveling regularly to D.C. until such time as the family could move out there. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be a, a wonderful experience uh, for a variety of reasons, including the number of people with whom we had the opportunity to work who felt very strongly about caring for children, making foster care the best possible mechanism for caring for young children who were misplaced, displaced, and giving women with unintended pregnancies an opportunity to consider adoption 
Paul, let me just jump in. It's amazing to me that adoption isn't considered one of the first options when you have a pregnancy that you weren't expecting. It would be great to have another option for life. It seems that, you know, the two most popular options at the time, and it may still be true, the two most popular are uh, terminating the pregnancy or parenting the child. Mm-hmm. And the legislation, you know, passed in the Clinton administration was designed really to help alleviate some of the problems experienced in foster care, the small number of individuals willing to do foster care, uh, the abuse that many young children, including infants, uh, experienced because natural parents were not necessarily well-equipped to care for them, and the sheer number of children in foster care available for adoption. You know, Paul, tell us specifically about the program, what it was designed to do. So the program was really designed to train pregnancy counselors in all 50 states to at least be more aware of adoption as a possibility for the individuals facing the question and um, training them in such a way that they knew as much about the adoption option as possible and could offer that to those whom they counseled. Well, and... and uh, you and I and you and I were talking about this, you know, and I was very excited about your history with this because as soon as you were sharing this with me, I was like, we just had had a meeting in Washington where the state of Kentucky, uh, the governor at the time, as, and as well as several church leaders were coming in and were talking about <clears throat> foster care. They were talking about adoption and how the church and the state had worked out a healthy relationship where the churches could rise to the occasion, not just individuals, but even churches could rise to the occasion of really being a part of a a solution to kids in foster care, uh, to the need for adoption, and all these kinds of things. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and, And so it was one of those things that when I left, I thought, you know, this is one of those public things the church could get involved with because it's an extension of our view of marriage. It's an extension of our view of wanting to help those who are truly in need and children without families are truly in need. And and here you showed how how easily we can kind of move into that just by saying, well, why not us? So, I mean, that to me was was an exciting part of our conversation because it just seems so natural that you you were uh, you were doing this. In fact, didn't you tell me the story about how you were coming home after a late day and your wife was running to choir practice? And what did she say I, about the, where there may, might be a baby coming soon or something? Yeah, she just she was leaving from the right. front door as I was coming in the front door, and uh, she simply said, "If someone drops a baby off, take it." <laughs> and so, yeah, go ahead. I I knew exactly what she was saying because sure. whenever a foster child left, either you know returned to his or her mother in most cases, or to be adopted. Uh, there was always another one uh, waiting for foster care. So, you know, it was not unusual in our household to have someone drop a baby off. We were accustomed to that sort of thing. Yeah, the need. And go ahead. 
Well, well, you referenced, you know, something that I think is extremely important, and that's the, the support that can be available within, for example, a congregation or among friends who have similar respect for the little ones and a strong desire to care for them in the best possible way. The members of our congregation at the time, during all those years when we were foster parents, uh, always asked about the little ones, how are they doing, uh, who's this one, mm -hmm. because they changed frequently, and uh, never complained too much that we always sat in the back pew. <laughs> in fact, when we left that congregation, we thought it might have been nice if they had named that pew after us, <laughs> because we spent so much time there. And even our children, you know, particularly at church, the boys in the family would always want to hold the baby hmm. at the end of the service because all the young girls would come to see the baby. <laughs> and uh, that was a good deal for them. But that was a good deal. Well, see, and yeah, the need is so great. And and again, when it comes down to it, the the strength of our nation is ultimately going to be in the strength of our families. And obviously, there's a war going on politically uh, with traditional family and and these kinds of things. We're not going to get into all that today. But I also want to take this in terms of the the politics of this, and then we'll come back to what the church can do is the politics of what I call exclusion today and and where politics is being used to wep to weaponize um exclusion of people like yourself and I, I said this before we we even came on the program today that I think today you would not have been able to get the uh directorship because of your views on marriage your views on abortion they would have excluded you from that now you know that's saying one thing but it's even worse than that if a Christian ministry or a Christian church wants to get involved in this and they do everything the same as everybody else, they can be excluded for those same reasons today too. And so there's literally this, this um, secularism that is now weaponizing politics to say the church cannot be involved in these kind of things. And this is already, so in Kentucky, where I was just telling you about how this, they've worked this wonderful partnership out and they're really serving uh, underserved communities and kids who have been in foster care for so long. And and there was uh, a case now, the, the Sunrise case, where they, there are these activists who are coming and saying, but if you believe in marriage or if you believe in you know abortion or any of those, or against abortion, those kind of things, you cannot be part of this program. And there was a case in Philadelphia called the Fulton case where they tried to shut down the Catholic services just because they believed in traditional marriage, even though the Catholic services agency had been there over a hundred and some years caring for kids, caring for people. And I think this politics of exclusion is something I wish our people understood. That's we're not the ones politicizing things. We're trying to take politics out of this. So people like yourself or churches that believe the way you believe about these things can have an opportunity to serve. And, and I think that's what's uh, something where, again, I know you didn't have to deal with that maybe as much back in the 90s. We actually had the Defense of Marriage Act passed back then that actually defended at least the church's right to be the church. Um, yes. So again, 
isn't it interesting today that that the politics have changed where people who are as passionate as you might not be able to serve? I think that's a tragedy. Well, I commend you for what you're doing, and I pray that you and others like you can make sure that uh, we're not excluded in the future from doing those things that we believe we can do extremely well. Right, and I mean, can I, be such a blessing, right? Yeah, with the uh, you know, a half million children in foster care at any given time, uh, there are quite a few of those available for adoption. But whether they are or not, if you got congregations, groups of individuals who share similar beliefs, Mm -hmm. uh, really involved in caring for the little ones and even considering adoption, um, I mean, that would be a wonderful thing. And you're dealing with people you don't have to instruct on what it takes to be a kind, loving, caring individual when it comes to uh, those around them, including the children. Uh, They already have the inclination. They've probably demonstrated it in a variety of ways. If we could just get them a little bit more involved in all the children who need what they can give. But if they're excluded because they have certain beliefs consistent with their Christian faith, for example, if they're excluded, we've lost a valuable, valuable asset that could be used for so much good. Now, we've lost, not only that, I think we've lost our way as a people i mean we and and that's something now that's more than the politics discussion can do obviously we've got to try to uh, persuade at that level but i'll give you an example of i met tony dungy at the march for life and tony dungy i did not know this but you know he has three biological children but they have eight adopted children so he has 11 kids in the home and tony dungy's football player extraordinaire was a great coach he coached the tampa bay buccaneers and we were down there then went to indianapolis and finally you know won the super bowl he was a, just a phenomenal coach a man of integrity man of virtue But as soon as he stood up at the March for Life, and he's demonstrated in his life that he's a person for life, and he will sacrifice and bring children into his home if that's what's needed, you know, he he puts his money where his mouth is, as they say, and yet he's been vilified recently just because he he demonstrated you know he or he spoke at the march for life and that's the kind of thing we're seeing today where you you this politics of exclusion this is a phenomenal family phenomenal guy phenomenal person he's been excellent in everything he's done and yet somehow that disqualifies okay well we're fighting folks lutheran center for religious liberties fighting that battle to say you can't treat the church as a secondary institution and you got to allow us to have the same access to these opportunities. Now let's close with this thought. Shouldn't the church say, hey, wait a minute, not only is education in our uh, purview, but since we're a pro-family church, why don't we get involved in in more of this, uh, the foster care needs of, of kids and families all around us? What Do you have any advice for a church that might decide not just to do it personally, like people individually, but maybe as a church? Because a church is going to have to also realize that if several people get involved in foster care, that's going to change the dynamics of the churches and Sunday school and things like that, too. What do you think? Well, I think that's a great idea. We should keep praying that more people consider that possibility. Um, 
in the infant adoption awareness training program, we had 180 some trainers around the country who conducted the training sessions, and many of them came from agencies affiliated with uh, Christian churches or organizations, uh, and they weren't selected for that alone, right. but what you suggest is that today they may be excluded because of their affiliation with churches that uh, that don't agree with everything that the government seems to be promoting these days. Well, but, the government will will allow an agency that believes in abortion, they'll get the money, they, who doesn't believe uh, in the uniqueness of traditional marriage between a man and a woman, they'll get the money. But if you believe in those things, you won't. And and that the Trinity case that where we, you know, we're advocating for money for our playground, for our preschool. Same kind right. of thing. They try to exclude us merely because we're Christian. And and hopefully we're getting to the point where we're saying, okay, if you give it to that group, fine, but then give it to us and let's see who serves better. Let's see who really makes a difference in the community. I don't have a problem with that. You know, but again, there's a this exclusionary thing is, well, but we're going to make sure that we you, you die on the vine because you don't have the resources to compete with us. And that's the kind of stuff. And the school says, by the way, this, don't even get me going on parental choice, because the same kind of thing with the schools. We've given all of our resources over to one system. And when they decide to secularize, when they decide to actually teach our kids incredibly uh, amoral or immoral things about relationships, we can't do anything about it because they already have our cash. Well, I say decentralize it. Let the parents take the money wherever uh, they want to go. And you'll see a lot of these uh, silly things go by the wayside very quickly. But when they own the process, and that's what they're trying to do the same thing here. So churches rise to the occasion because it's a great opportunity um, Paul, just close with a thought about how much it blessed you to be a part of um, the adoption, uh, the adoption program, but also just the foster care uh, work that you and your wife did for so many years. Well, I mean, it it was a blessing for mm-hmm. our entire family, and um, certainly helped to realize anew how valuable God's creations are and how much we can do to help them be well cared for, loved, and pointed, Lord willing, in the right direction for their lives. And there are so many people, many who are listening to you on a regular basis and maybe listening today, who are those kinds of people And my prayer is that somehow, as you suggest, we can find a way. Uh, Let's let's get together and do what we can to make sure that we are included in the future when it comes to decisions related to the best possible care for foster children and provide additional opportunities for those children who are available for adoption. God blesses us in a variety of ways, and sometimes in very simple ways that we may not even recognize, but it's it's the youngster in your congregation, the youngster in your neighborhood, the youngster you see on television that needs you, and there's a way for you to become involved and pray that you will consider that and join with others so that together we can make a difference for the future. 
Well, Paul, it's been uh, a pleasure to talk to you about this. Thanks for setting the bar so high uh, for those who have uh, dealt with a lot of these issues, the religious liberty issues. But then I see the service issues and, and the you know, just being willing to be the servant that that God has allowed you to be. Thanks for uh, giving us something to shoot for. And uh, we hope that we can um, participate in carrying on the kind of legacy that uh, that you've demonstrated in all these arenas. So thanks again for being on the program. Well, blessings to you, Dr. Seltz, and uh, we'll stay in touch. I look forward to it. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com forward slash LCRL freedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 